Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Jen. We're just two run-of-the-mill casting directors looking to have a little fun while tearing down the curtain on casting, the process, and how the sausage gets made. So many misconceptions have come from outside sources, so we're here to clear the air and make sure everyone gets a full picture of all that goes into casting your favorite TV shows and films. All the while, we'll be drinking some amazing cocktails and spilling the tea on some of the most outrageous stories we've come across in our careers. Maybe we'll even bring on a few exciting guests along the way. Cheers! Cheers! afternoon. Good evening. Welcome back to Tipsy Casting. I'm Jess and this is my co-host Jen. Thank you all for tuning in and what's going to be another fun week of discussing the ins and outs of castings, relationships with agents and managers. This week we have an amazing manager from Echo Lake Entertainment, Louise Keshavaya. Louise is a Chicago native and an entertainment junkie. She's a graduate of USC with a major in theater and political science. She started her entertainment career actually working in casting, but transitioned to representation over 10 years ago. She worked as a talent agent at Gersh for seven years and then moved over to Echo Lake Entertainment in January of 2021. She represents actors as well as writers and directors with a focus of women in comedy. Before we bring Luis in, we have a new segment we are introducing this week called Wine of the Week. Now, you may be thinking this is all about the drink wine, but it's where we get an uninterrupted chance to complain about something outrageous that has happened to one of us this past week. You've got the tea here. Go for it. I know. I've had a week. I've had a bad week of just being mistreated. So I thought this was the perfect story to kind of kick off this segment for us. And so I've been working on two very small budget indies. And again, when they're under a million dollars, you don't get paid a lot in general. But I saw it as a really good opportunity. And a friend of mine from LA had recommended me for the jobs over here in the UK. So I was like, great, this is a good chance to dip my toe get, you know, the ball rolling with doing projects over here. And this director who's also acting as like the producer and, you know, she came to me and told me for the first movie, what was in the budget forecasting. So I agreed to it. And then they were doing pretty much identical films back to back, like different scripts, but very functional and like they're very like lifetime. And so she was like, yeah, and then you'll do the second one. So for the first one, a, the friend of mine who's a casting director in LA had cast the leads out of LA. So they flew them over. So I just cast the supporting. Then we get to the second one and she's like, here's your contract. Here's your money. Same money as last time. So then I was like, oh shoot, that's really weird. She wanted me to cast the two leads on top of it out of the UK. For the entire film. For the entire film. So I cast the entire film. And so I was like, well, that's weird. But I do know that my friend back in LA's worked with her a lot. So I was like, maybe it's some kind of overall agreement. So I didn't say anything right at first. And so I happened to be talking to my friend and we were just checking, he was checking in to see how everything was going. And I made the comment about, I was like, yeah, I can't believe you like cast these leads for free or however you have it done. Cause this woman is a lot, a lot of work for very little money. And he was like, what do you mean? I, I, I got paid. And so she ended up paying him more money for the first movie. And then I did double the work on the second movie and got paid like, well, the same that I made, but less than the overall casting budget. It's one of those things that even though it's just a matter of a little, you know, a couple thousand dollars, not a ton or anything, I just felt so upset because I was like, this is why we get taken advantage of. Like, you know, if we don't talk between casting directors, we don't know that we're getting gypped out of thousands of dollars for doing extra work 
work or whatever. So I confronted her about it and she had the gall to come back at me and tell me I was doing less work than this guy and that I had no right to even ask for this money or to bring this up. And again, this is like two days before shooting and we haven't even closed half of our deals. Like I could pull the whole cast. Like this is just so crazy to me. And she called me a bunch of names and just kind of like degraded my job pretty much. And she's like, I didn't even make you do a breakdown. And I was like, you insisted on doing the breakdown. I offered to do it. You said, that's all you want to do. And so she's like, but that means you shouldn't be paid this extra money. And, and then she's lying to me. So she didn't realize that me and this casting director are good friends, even though I'm like, how did you think I got this information? And she kept saying like, he'll do my movies for free. He doesn't care. Like, and so I called him and I said, are you saying this to her? And he said, no, I've always been paid for my work with her. She's trying to take advantage of you. Like stick up for yourself. And so I was on the phone back and forth with her for like an hour and she started crying. And then she tried to tell me I was the one who was emotional. And I was like, I'm not emotional. I can just do math. Like it should be the same amount. The only difference is he is a man and I never play the woman card. I don't really believe in it, but it's like, that is literally the only difference in this situation. So why are you willing to pay him money for that? And I found it so disrespectful and horrible and I will never work with her again. I'll call her out on this show because I think it's very wrong what she did and her name is Lane Shafter Bishop and she does these movies for a lifetime this insanely low budget even through the movies I've kind of found out she I'm not saying she's a bad person I don't know her well enough but I think she's a person who's gotten away with a lot for a long time and she doesn't treat actors right from the conversations I've had with agents and actors and it's just it's really sad it's really sad when you have to encounter that kind of stuff that's my wine of the week Oh, I'm so sorry. That's so infuriating. But good for you on standing up for yourself and holding her accountable. Like even though she wasn't behaving as such like to hold herself accountable for something like that's the only way that we get progress is by calling out that bad behavior. I know. I know. And I do hope maybe if any casting directors are listening to this, I hope we all start to talk to each other about what we make in not a competitive sense, but so we're all getting paid fairly rather than kind of being pinned against each other. Yeah. And I also think it's like, it's such an important thing that, you know, so grateful that you had your friend in LA to be able to bounce that off. You know, when I start working on a job before I take the job officially, I always do due diligence on the producer and the director. If I know anybody, who's worked with them before, I will always reach out and be like, what am I walking into? Because, <laughs> you, know? so, you know, it's definitely, I think we're of the same mindset of life is too short to hate what you do when we love it so much. So yes, I'm glad that you did what you did. I'm sorry you had to go through that. And hopefully it's smooth sailing moving forward. Thank you. And it is nice to get it out. You know, honestly, it's good to talk about it because I think as our whole podcast is about, the more we talk about things, hopefully it gets better, you know? (laughs) Well, we can talk about all the the ways that we've been slighted for a long time, but let's bring in the wonderful and lovely Louise K. Shavaya. Louise, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? Pretty good. It's so great to see you both. I haven't seen you, you know, or even pictures of you in such a long time. So we were just talking about that, even like just within our own relationships of, you know, agents, managers, casting directors, we have so many communications, so many relationships where it's strictly phone and email. And then I feel like when we finally meet each other in person, it's like a long lost (laughs) friend. (laughs) 
I find it so fascinating and also one of the strangest part about the business where, and especially when I was an assistant, there would be a counterpart and be like, I think you're my best friend. And if I walked by you on the street, I would walk right past you. Yeah. That happened to me a couple of times, actually, like where I was literally, I'd met with an agent like once or twice and I'll never forget, like I won't say who it was, but I was in Beverly Hills. And I was walking to get lunch and I was like, hello. Because we had met like a couple of weeks and I think he just was like, oh my God, I just kind of forgot what you look like. <laughs> I knew someone who she had had a counterpart they'd never met before, but she was out at pavilions and that person heard her was like, I recognized your voice and was like, is that you? And they were like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe we're finally meeting. We've run into each other. And she has, I think, kind of a loud, distinct voice. So part of that. But yeah, it is wild how often, you know, we don't have a lot of time for zooms with casting directors it's just like a quick email or on the phone and then you're like at least now we have you know social media being able to be facebook friends or instagram and having a sense of that person or like what their interests are i think that that's been super useful but yes it's still super common (laughs) you are actually back in the office but we always talk about what cocktail we're drinking. So Jen, what are you drinking? It's already nighttime for me. So I'm drinking a sparkling rosé. Lovely. Yeah. Switching it up this way. What about you? What are you drinking? I actually get to participate this time. Well, I mean, I feel okay about it because normally I'm drinking early morning, but I am doing a something I got from the Wink Wine Club thing that it's debts and lessons Riesling. If you could be drinking, what would you drink? Yes. I would be having a glass of white wine and if it would be a Riesling and it's funny because I basically just like anything sugary and sweet and so I'm like what's your sweetest wine I was like, do you have a Riesling and people make fun of me obviously and then they're like oh, I guess I'll take a Chardonnay and then get shamed into it people have said do you want to just order apple juice and I'm like maybe yeah you could go next level and do a Moscato because that's like basically syrup but I am drinking coffee and this thing called water which I do not drink enough of I have Highly recommend it. Although drinking a lot of water sometimes feels like homework. (laughs) Might as well. (laughs) I am notorious and assistants have confirmed this of just not finishing my drink. I will be in my office and have like four empty cups of whatever on my desk. People are like, truly, you could just finish the one drink. But I'm the worst, but it takes me forever to drink anything. Like even a cup of coffee for me takes like a full 45 minutes and it really shouldn't because I love it so much, but water, I just tend to forget. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You said that. And I looked to the left and I have so many glasses right next to my computer, cups, water bottles, like you name it, it's here at, at my disposal. So I can relate completely. <laughs> well, enough about our drinks. We're super excited to talk to you period because you have such a diverse background as a rep because I mean tell me if I'm wrong you started as an agent right actually fun fact I technically started as an intern mainly in casting well I'd had previous internships but my main internship was I was a casting intern at the Goodman Theater in Chicago and I'd even done some internships out in LA and I genuinely thought I wanted to work in casting and honestly it was sort of by chance that I fell at an agency to like get experience and then I just stayed on the rep side so that is the full picture of doing all of it what was the thing that pulled you away from casting and made you stay on the rep side. So it's interesting because part of it was a writer's strike, knock on wood, something that's about to happen again when this 
drops. It might even be already happening. But I was a theater major. I thought I wanted to act. I was in school and I was like, oh, this isn't for me, but maybe casting is for me. And again, I'd worked at Goodman. And so I was trying to get jobs, but there was writer strike. So getting a job in casting was not a great time. And then William Morris and Endeavor became WME. And then the economy crashed. So it was like not a great time overall to be looking for work. And I hate that that's sort of a relevant experience feels like for younger people today. I wanted stability and I needed something to get experience. Casting is so hard because it is freelance, especially as an assistant and associate. And there were so many assistants and associates who were out of work at the time. So, you know, as someone with no experience, it was harder to break into that mold. And then also I wanted the stability. So I thought, well, I'll get a job in an agency and then I can parlay that to work at a casting office or work ideally at a studio of some kind or network or what have you. So that was kind of how I landed of like kind of the old Hollywood maxim of like, do your year in an agency. I was like, oh, I guess I will. And what I thought of what an agency was like and what it was actually like were different. And so that was part of the reason why I stayed. So was Gersh your first job or was were you at a different agency before that? So I was actually at a smaller agency for about a year. I worked at Abrams, which is now A3, and I worked their kids department. So I worked there for, I think, almost a year, mostly in like kind of the commercial space. And then after that, I went straight to work for Nick Collins. And then I worked at Gersh for 10 years. Yeah. So what kind of like drew you there? Because I'm always curious, because I've never worked on the agency side of it. And it's never quite appealed to me, just because I don't think I have the patience you guys have. <laughs> but I'm always so curious, like, because you spent one year at Abrams slash A3. So like, what then were you like looking for? Like, what kind of drew you to Gersh? Well, so I think I had realized when I was exploring, do I want to go back into casting? What do I like about the rep side? What's my skill set? And it's interesting that you mentioned patience, because I think that casting people have to be a lot more patient than agents do in a way, reps in general, because... I would get very, and, and I noticed this when I had interned in casting, I would get very attached to my idea of which actor should be hired. I would have a kind of select group of actors who I loved. I was like, oh, I love that actor and that actor and that actor. And I sort of knew that it would drive me absolutely insane, which I'm sure it does to everyone but probably more so than healthy of like, we have these three choices. What do you mean you want a list? What do you mean you want a different list of like 80 different people? I don't understand. We saw these people, we like them and we need to pick one and it should be this one. I would go mad if that had to happen where you're just like making lists of all of the actors ever. Like I would get very attached to people and try to push and fight for those people. Even the way my brain works, like if you say something like name a 20 something actress, that should be easier. Like I could name hundreds of actresses. My mind goes completely blank and I'm like, uh, who's that one really famous person from White Lotus? It's like it truly doesn't work in my mind. But then if you say, oh, make the case for this actress, should this actress play this part? I'd be like, yes, 
Here's why. Do you remember that movie they did in 1999? That was kind of my favorite movie they ever did. It was a Disney Channel original movie, but they were really good in it. Like it works one way and not the other. So that realization that I came to as to why I should be on the rep side. And then you were in it for 10 years. What made you shift to management and how you function as a manager? Was that transition easy? What were you looking for when you did that? I think, look, a lot of it had to do with the pandemic, right? As someone quoted to me, the meditation retreat that none of us signed up for, where we're all like sitting back and taking stock of our life and what we wanted and how we could grow and challenge ourselves. And I think for me, everyone was sort of saying how very managerial I was. And I sort of saw myself as a de facto manager with my clients. Sometimes I would be doing things that typically a manager would do, but I would just want it to be done. So I was like, I'm going to do it. And thinking like, oh, I should be a manager. Pre-pandemic, you're comfortable. I really liked everyone I worked with. I love the company. I'm not going to leave because maybe this idea of like, well, you're really more of a manager. But then I think the pandemic happened. And first of all, you're at home. You're a little disconnected from other people. And I was thinking, well, what are you waiting for? If you really feel that that's your skill set and that's where you can really add value. And so I kind of just was feeling it out a little bit, like maybe this is something I could possibly do. And I had a lot of interest from people, namely Echo Lake. And I thought Echo Lake was such a great company that I was like, oh, this could be a really good fit. So it kind of happened in a very, you know, natural and as if it was fate type of way of how quickly it happened. And I was right in that it really does seem to be more my skill set, my energy, where and how I like to spend my time and how I work. You say that what you are already doing as an agent was very in line with how a manager acts. For those who don't really know the difference, what is the major difference for you on the professional side? This is always so hard to answer. And weirdly, with having made the transition from agent to manager, having to like go back home and explain to my family, they're like, okay, so you were an agent. Yes, you're a manager now. Yes, you have clients and you find them jobs and you take 10% of what they make. Yes, but it's different. Yeah, it's different. You know, and to someone outside of the business, it can be really hard to explain that. And I have all of these, which I can maybe get into these weird little like, you know, metaphors to translate like it's like this. And then I'm sort of like this and you work together and some people have some. And so I've had to do this a lot. And again, having had to make the transition thinking it would be easy. And I would say it was smooth. It was simple. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is such a struggle. But there were some shifts to make or adjustments to make of like, oh, no, that's my job right now. That's my purview. This is where I'm going to, again, focus spend my time. Just saying I've had to answer this question a lot. I would say, you know, the major difference in the what I was about in terms of being managerial. And what I meant by that is I really kind of just cared about my clients and I wanted to work for them, for the good of them and the bigger picture of developing their career, whatever they needed to further that. Finding out, okay, this is what you need. This is what someone else needs. How can we utilize my skills, your whole team and to make sure that that happens? And it's different for every client. At an agency, it's very fast paced, which I didn't really like. 
it's all about obtaining information, kind of getting jobs, right? You get jobs for not only your own clients, but I got a lot of other jobs for the company, for other people's clients. And I I liked that. And that was great, but it also felt a little bit removed. You get a job for someone else's client you don't know and you don't have a relationship with. And then you see it come out a year later. It just feels a little bit like, I did that, right? I guess I did that. You know, you don't get to kind of participate in the process a little bit. And then to know what the experience was like on set, just to feel connected to the work that you do. I think everyone wants that. Yeah, I feel like your position probably is the closest to us since we're the first off and then they go into production and then that's the last we ever hear. <laughs> right, right. Until it comes out like, oh, hey, here's your premiere tickets. <laughs> right, right. And then I, I always wonder that, you know, about going to set and hopefully you're like, oh, actually they didn't get along. And you're like, oh, whoops, I brought them up because you love them when we hired them. Didn't know there was a problem on set, you know, like those things that you don't know or hope or worried about. You're right about that. Do you like casting to tell you when there's problems with clients on set? Yes. 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 I mean, <laughs> look, you don't have to tell me I am a shameless gossip. So of course you can always call gossip. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna, you know, pretend I'm like, no, I don't want to hear about the gossip. Like, yes, but that's something separate. But I do think it's important to know, right? This is, sometimes people don't get along and no one's done anything wrong. Someone likes their process to improv a lot. And the writer director does not like that. Those are different schools of thought and they can be of equal or different value. But if you know that those two people are not a good fit to work with each other anymore as a rep, it's important to know that or vice versa. I mean, look, if the opposite's true, if two people loved each other, that information usually makes its way back to me, right? Like we love each other, we want to work together again. They said something to me. I think they really like me. But if it was a problem, but especially if you have maybe a younger client, inexperienced client or a client who either intentionally, unintentionally is rubbing people the wrong way and it affects their career. It's as a rep, I feel like I have to know that. I think we do live in a time, especially in the era of social media and how things get, you know, misconstrued. I think people get very afraid to give negative, albeit constructive feedback. So I always will tell people, even writers, that feedback is a gift. You just have to know how to utilize it, especially with casting in general. If the feedback, knowing if it's going to be of service to a client, if you give feedback saying like, oh, so-and-so is too old, they play too old. If you want to avoid sending someone into a tailspin of like, oh my gosh, I'm just too old. And it was like, well, no, just for this part. I don't think you need to change your hair or your look because there's something wrong with it. Or they just felt, you know, oh, you had too much energy. Oh, well, for all my auditions, I need to dial down the energy. It's like, this is not necessarily a bigger picture issue. That being said, I do want to know about if there are bigger picture issues, either with the self-tape era post-pandemic or I think just how busy everybody is, that's gone by the wayside and that's kind of done a disservice, I think, to a lot of people. I have two questions. My first question is, do you feel that the way that you sign people is different from when you were an agent versus a manager? Like what you're looking for is different? Mm, That's a really good question question. I would say, yes, what I'm looking for is different than at an agency. You know, first of all, a lot of agencies, they do sign as a group, they sign as a team, you have to kind of get everybody else on board, because you're not the only one selling your client, other people are too. So you need it to 
be known throughout the company. So someone who the company maybe already knows, it's just easier versus now, while we still do consult with each other and everybody weighs in. So there's a collective about talent. It's a little bit of a different kind of criteria where I get to look at it as more of, in a way, an individual basis. It does have so much more than like, do I think they're talented? And do I think they're good at acting? That is the thing that the, and I'm sure you guys feel this way as well, of the lack of value judgment of it's not do I think you're good at acting? But do I think that that there is an ability for you to get work out there? And do I think that I am the person that can help you with your career, right? Am I able to do it? Am I able to give my time? And in a way of framing this that feeds my own ego, it's like, do you need me? There are some people who it's like, you know what, I'm not the right person for them, either what they want in their career and where my skill set is or what they want, either if it's an energy personality thing or where someone's skill set is. But then there's sometimes I'm like, no, I really think that I'm the person. These are the things that I love to do. And this person might be able to do that too, but I think they're too busy or that person might not have the same access to information that I do or relationships. So I would say it is an approach of sometimes less about what I think about an individual client and in a way of like, okay, will I be able to add value here? Right. I mean, that's great. You're very intentional with what you're doing then. Like it's, it's less about the full picture. My other question is with the change in the landscape of casting and auditioning, it must be super insightful for you because before you were in an environment where the actor would go in, they would do their thing, they'd come back, ask you for feedback, but now you see the tape. Right. It's so wild to me because, and I know a lot of actors feel this way and I'm sure you feel this way as well in terms of how the era of self-taping is such a double-edged sword. You know, I know actors who are able to like not live in Los Angeles or live farther outside of Los Angeles or go on vacation and not be worried that they're missing something. Or it's a lot easier to have a day job in the era of self-taping. And for those who had nerves and who, I did it so well by myself, but then I get there and got this weird vibe and then I completely choked, you know, all of that has been eliminated. But yeah, I, in my bias, and I loved that I've been able to see auditions. It has absolutely given me an insight into people, into clients. It has enhanced my inside of just how hard auditioning is so hard and watching it and watching all of the things to go through. And especially if you ever are in a situation where you see multiple people, either yours or other people's clients, multiple people do the same scenes and how that gives you a perspective. In that sense, it's really nice that I've been able to see it and, you know, control it in a way of being like, reminder, hey, here it is. Just you saw this, right? Like, just want to make sure you saw it versus if they go in and you just have no idea. You have no idea if they completely bomb. You have no idea if the casting director, you know, hates your client. I don't know. You don't have any idea. And when you get to watch it, you at least have an idea of like, you know what? I think there is good work here. They know what they're doing. I'm confident in pitching this person, sending more stuff. And I've also I've given notes with people. I do that a lot where I'm like, you know, I think this could be a little bit better. I have new information as to who they like. You might want to do it this way. There's a lot of times where maybe I think it could be a little bit quote unquote better, but where I know it's not entirely up 
to me, that's where it gets hard, right? Where I'm like, okay, I at least know that this could be funnier. You're funny. This wasn't as funny. And I think you could play up the comedy a little bit because objectively, I know that if it's a comedy, then that's always the right answer. But if it's a tone issue, and I don't know the director, I don't know what they're looking for. Yeah, it's hard for me to give creative notes where it's like, all right, well, if I were directing or producing the show, this is what I would want, but that's not up to me. And to make someone retape because of like my preference. So that's the balance I think to strike. But yeah, it has been really, really great being able to watch the tapes. There's another side to it, obviously, but I will say the positives is being able to watch it. So in terms of like your client list, because I know we get asked this all the time and I'm always like, I don't know, like, especially with COVID and stuff, because it's taken away so many in-person showcases and stuff. Do you seek them out? Do they come to you? If you have any crazy stories about like what people have done to get your attention and be like, we want you to rub us, Louise. (laughs) Oh, I know. So I feel this weird and it's like probably the fact that I'm the most white woman, white woman, but it's like, I want to represent all the actors, you know? So like, it's actually hard for me to like speak at a school or speak at a class or have people reach out to me like, will you represent me? And I want to be like, I want to, I really do. Or it's like, oh, I have representation. Or I have bad representation. I'm not happy with my representation. I wish I could have someone like you. And especially if I have a personal or friend relationship with them and you're like, oh my God, I want to do this too. I want everyone to have wonderful reps. So one of the challenges that I don't know how to overcome is how kind of gatekeepy the representation business is and tends to be. It is a lot of access and getting reps to see you, whether it's going to showcases, going to plays, they have to see you cast already in something. Well, how do you get cast? A lot of this business is circular. You need experience in order to get experience. You can't get hired. You don't have enough experience. Well, how do I get experience if no one will hire me? Same thing with the union, same thing with writer. Like that is so true in all aspects of the business. And I think that that's really unfair. And it's why the business has been so exclusive in a way that has been problematic. I'm very conscious of that and trying to not be gatekeepy. So I would say that I try and find talent in different ways. I do go or have in the past gone to a lot of the showcases I tried to go to the showcases that not everyone was going to, which is great, but also can have its own challenges. If other casting executives aren't going to the same showcases, they don't see the same talent. So it's harder to get them in the proverbial room or self-tape, if you will. So I do go to those. I've found a lot of people on TikTok. I'm so into TikTok right now, you guys. It's a problem. <laughs> Uh-oh, you're going to send all the actor listeners into a tailspin because they all think they have to have like these huge social media profiles these days. And it's crazy because I say that that's not true either, right? And having representatives from TikTok, it's not the same. Like, oh, it's just how many followers someone has. I was like, oh, I, that was maybe true in 2010, but it's not true now, like on YouTube, but that's not as true now, truly. I say people this all the time about social media. I'm going to talk about that later. It's not about the followers and it's more about a platform in which you are being seen. So if you are yourself and you're selling something or like, this is how you put on your eyeliner, that's great. I might like watch you and try that, but that's not showing me what you can do as an actor. But what TikTok does that say Instagram maybe doesn't, or I mean, it does now, but it's basically showing people's TikToks on Instagram is it's sketch comedy. It's its own form of film or sketches or 
people who are writing and creating little mini movies or something that could be on SNL. It's this cool new platform with a new model of the way people create content. And so I can tell, oh, this person is very funny. The way they are acting in this sketch is funny. So I liken the people who I've found on TikTok and you're like, oh my gosh, I think they're amazing. The people who I would want to represent and who I do represent are the people not just who like have followers because they are able to speak insightfully about the business or I'm a professor in something and I like to talk about this and now I have followers, but it's people who do something that translates. They act in sketches essentially. So as writer performer. And that's how I would say TikTok is used for is how it informs my job. I want to say that one more time for the folks in the back. It's not about the number of followers you have, but the kind of material that you are putting out into the world. That's always the question that I'll say I get when I teach classes or anything of like, oh, do I have to have a bajillion followers in order for myself to get consideration for a project? And it's like, before I started requesting self-tapes, if I had to go on all of the platforms and be like, hmm, how many followers does this person have? I I would never get anything done ever. <laughs> so I'm glad that you say it on your end as well. <laughs> yeah, believe me, I wish it translated directly. And it's just a tool. You can use it. You cannot use it. I mean, frankly, it's a whole other conversation. So I don't want to necessarily like, you know, have this just one thing of like, oh, this one manager says I don't need social media. And some studio marketing department is like, but you do for the show, right? Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But in terms of getting my and other managers attention, sure, it could help if you have a platform of people, but it's not the only thing. At the end of it, if you want to be in an indie film, you have to be able to act. Yeah. And I've done it before too. When I get asked this question all the time, I'm like, it's good to be who you are out there. Because if I get an audition, especially now with self-tapes, it's like, oh man, but they didn't hit the comedy quite right. Or they didn't hit these beats. I'll go and look at their Instagram. And if they have some funny reels or something, I'm like, oh, look, they can be funny. And so it's like, it has become a tool. It's not a guideline, but it's more of like a helpful thing since we don't get to meet everybody in person. Because I fought for people in the past who I'm like, you know, because if a director just sees their tape and they're like, ah, oh, I just, you know, I didn't think they were that funny. And I'm like, no, just like call him back and meet him because he'll kill you in person. That's kind of what I use Instagram now as since we can't have that. I'm like, go look at this reel. It's hilarious. I will say in terms of advice to actors though, and it, this does not have to be on social media, but I do remember I was watching a showcase and this was two years ago. So everything was really online, you know, it wasn't like an in-person thing. And, and I was just kind of clicking through. It wasn't like, oh, I promised someone I'd be at the full showcase. I was like, oh, I wonder what this person. And I found someone who I thought was compelling. And so I was like looking him up on the interwebs and trying to think like, okay, maybe has he done anything else? Is there like a commercial or maybe there's a self tape or yeah, some sort of video of this person existing of where's this person from? They speak another language, you know, just a little picture of like a body of work. And when I tell you, I could not find this person anywhere. I, I mean, maybe there was like a witness protection situation in a way that I'm <laughs> jealous of like, well, you're smart in that you don't have this internet 
history if you run for office where you have this like digital footprint my friend in cybersecurity would be like you're amazing but I have no frame of I don't know who you are I don't know if, if this is your real name I can't watch any other things that you've done I was trying to maybe track you down and do a little bit of like stalking to see if I'm interested and I can't see anything I'm less interested and people will be like well reach out to them you're like yes but then you don't want to get someone's hopes up you don't know what you're asking for so if you are an actor having some way that your work is out there is really important and given that there are all these platforms to do that you can and should do it yeah interesting i feel like jess has a question i could see every time she puts her eyes up we can't play poker with you (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna say something and i see your eyes go up i'm like oh she's ruminating ruminating go ahead and ask your question (laughs) (laughs) well I just am curious like is there anything it can be your story or anybody else that maybe you've heard of that like I don't know something crazy that an actor's done that's actually worked in their favor just to get your attention or like something to I don't know I just feel like actors of all people I I love actors and I've talked about this before on the podcast where it's just like I find actors fascinating because there's something about them that like they just have that need and that drive that I don't have it like I'm like either you like me or you don't but like <laughs> they love to impress and it's like I just some of the stuff I hear sometimes about actors trying to get noticed or whatever I just I'm like it's gold it's comedy gold I I totally agree with you and I guess there are two things unfortunately though this doesn't have like a happy ending right it's not like someone cracked the code I don't think it involved representation, especially because I was an assistant at the time. But when I was an assistant, these were like back in the days of like postcards. Postcards were the thing. Send cast with postcards. I'm on an episode of NCIS. Here's a postcard. You know, postcards. Gotta get the postcards. Thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Now it's not that anymore. I remember someone had sent a letter opener. And this wasn't even when I was working there, but there was a letter opener with his headshot and contact information. And then it became the office letter opener. And then I was like, well, this is a really cool, really good idea. Did you ever call this guy in? No, but it's our letter opener. I'm like, well, I would call this person in. I had somebody that this is, it wasn't necessarily happy ending, but I will remember her forever. So there was this actress that pre-pandemic, when she would leave an audition, she would leave a tiny bottle of hand sanitizer with her headshot and contact information on it. And I carried that hand sanitizer because she would leave them every time. So I would have a small collection of them. And so during the pandemic, it came out really useful. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever call that person in, Jess? Oh yeah, I called her in all the time she's really funny for comedy like she's very quirky and fun but that was like a really useful way to do it i will say i have a story when we were doing the force awakens we had a lot of like really interesting people trying to get your attention and one of the ones that i think backfired to the person like i don't think it was a professional actor i think it was just a star wars fan they sent in and i still have it an r2d2 thumb drive and we were like we're not putting that on a computer what if it's gonna like i don't know a virus or something so we all freaked out and then somebody at bad robot brought like a old computer out an old laptop and we did it with that and we opened it and it was this like really intense video like he recreated you're our only hope from the original movie but he was like april webster and Alyssa weisberg you are my only hope 
to get me an audition for Star Wars. And it was like the amount of work that that person did. But it was also, I think security was like, do not bring them in. Like flags everywhere. But we did have some other cool stuff that somebody sent in, like their Super 8 camera that was like a family heirloom that their dad passed on and that he was like a big fan. And so we ended up bringing that guy in because he actually was a professional actor and represented by a legitimate agency and all of these things. We knew that he was like safe. Yeah. Right. That's the thing about a lot of it. I think a lot of the gatekeepingness is because, you know, we live in a world where we're, we're always like, and I think especially as women, because casting directors are so often women, it's like you got to watch out for the crazies. You got to watch out for the creeps. You know, we're hiring people. And so I think one of the reasons that so many actors or why it feels so we're closing the games like an exclusive club is because we have this fear of someone being creepy or someone being possibly harmful, scary. There is this fear of the people we don't know, right? And how do you bridge that gap while also making people feel safe? I will say one more. And again, I wish this had a happy ending, but I was an assistant. It was, again, hard copy headshot resume, right? And we were not taking those. So I was instructed by my boss to just throw them away. The letter was like, it was my boss, but I'll leave my name. Dear Louise's trash can. Oh, <laughs> oh no. And it was so funny. It was so funny. I was like, you guys, this is like a great cover letter. I should have like thought at the time to be like, someone should rep this person as a writer. Yeah. But I wasn't like, again, it was like kids commercials. So it was not and this was I think like a teenager, like a college kid or something like that. But it was like, dear Louise's trash can. It's so nice to meet you. I did send this to her. But I know that I will eventually make its way to you. So funny. I wanted to like be like, that was funny and creative. You're signed. You did it. So I wish that that had a happy ending. I would have brought that person in. That's funny. <laughs> I know. I want it. And again, if I had, you know, had more autonomy to do that, I might have. But, you know, if this person listens, that was really funny. Yeah. To be fair, I actually have kept over the span of my career I've kept like every cool letter every thank you card that any actor's ever given me I've kept them not the postcards that like they used to send in mass if I cast somebody and they actually thanked me or like I helped them through the experience and they wrote me a nice letter or those crazy ones who are you're just like this is kind of cool I'm just you know who knows what's gonna happen I've kept them I have a whole file of them I kept a letter once for a long time from a crazy fan who wrote to one of my boss's clients because my boss's client's friend, a different actor, had, their words not mine, gotten fat. Whoa, whoa, inappropriate. And my boss's client had to do something about it. I mean, it was hysterical, obviously super problematic, but it was like, you need to talk to him. He used to be a leading man. This could be a problem. Only you can help him. What? What? Like, you can't even break down how wrong that was, but it was hysterical. There's been somebody recently who, I won't call it the actor because I feel bad for him, but there's an actor who's like young and handsome and there's like these crazy fans sometimes. And I keep getting, every time I get one, I forward it to his agent. I'll get this email that's like, this is why so-and-so is so great. And this is why he should be cast in this movie. And this is what we want. 
And this, I mean, it is a long email detailing what this person thinks this guy's career should be. I mean, I don't really know. I think he's probably like 25, super good looking, works a lot. And every time the agent's like, I'm so sorry, we're trying to deal with it. Please just keep forwarding them whenever. Because I get them probably every, I would say three months, like one every three months about this guy. And wow. I'm like, I honestly think it's because it's not like I know him personally. I've read him in the past, but I think it was, he had gotten quite far on one of my projects. And I, again, I don't know how she would know that. That's the only thing I can think of. Cause like, he's not been in one of my projects ever. Like he's made it quite far, but like never actually been cast. So it's not even, you can go on IMDb and be like, oh, let me see who cast him in this. And I just singled you out as like, hey, she's a casting director. She has control over everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen, I have a theory. It's actually him writing you. Oh my gosh. Get his email from his agent for to him. Be like, this you? (laughs) I found you out. (laughs) Look, there's a long history of actors being their own reps, but I've never heard it like this. Was this like a piece of IP? Because I know that that happens if you're doing like, again, like a Star Wars or whatever of like, oh, no, I really think this person should play Luke Skywalker. Look, he looks just like it. So the fans are like, we're dying for this person to be that. And you're like, well, no. So like, literally, it's just like, I think they go on IMDb and they look what either I have in pre-production or something that's like just not done yet. And again, because like half the time on IMDb, it's like super late and updating. And so it's like, I've been done casting that for three months. It just doesn't say it yet. So they'll like go and be like, well, saw this movie and like I looked up what it was about and I mean it is kind of crazy about the internet these days is like so much information does get out there that it's like wait how do you know this like did you see my breakdown (laughs) but it is like it's almost like they'll just go through each film and be like I think he'd be great for this because and then you can tell they're kind of crazy because it's like half the time they don't even know what the movie's about or they're just like guessing you know but that's also funny because it's literally my job so it's like they're crazy or or they're a manager (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, oh, they're an agent. Yeah, that overlap is real too. You should write back, be like, you should just be a rep. Just like, don't do this. If you were a rep, this might go better for you. Well, you know, it's funny because again, I'm just fascinated by like human nature and like what makes people tick, which is why I find actors so fascinating. But like with this person in particular, who's writing me these emails, how do you get so obsessed with somebody you don't know? It's almost as if she knows him. First time I got it, I was like, I don't think this is his agent. Like, unless he moved, there's this new agent out there that I don't know. When I emailed her and she said, oh no, this is a problem. And we've been trying to deal with this, all this stuff. That's how much she knows about this guy that I'm like, on the flip side of social media, what we were talking about, if you put that much of yourself out there and like what you're doing and how you're contributing to your career, then people who may not have the wherewithal to know what line they're crossing, then they're like, I can give all this information and make myself sound somewhat legit. Cause at the very first email I got, I was like, Oh wow. Like, <laughs> you know, and then it took me, I mean, you kind of get into the ramblingness of it all and you're like, Oh wait, no, this is his agent. <laughs> I'm with you. I do find that fascinating, right? I think for all of us who work in entertainment, especially on our kind of side of it, you do have to have a love of actors and even a love of the actors who become famous and the feeling as if either if you know them or you feel like you know them or you've read them before, or if I work with them or used to work with them or something like that, you feel this like connection, you feel this kind of either protectiveness or love or, you know, in the case of me sometimes, like a parasocial relationship. So it's almost 
almost like I can relate to, in a way, a feeling of this, like you feel like a connection that maybe isn't reciprocated or feel so passionately about an actor or their career, what they do. Or, I mean, that is what drives people to see movies, right? With movie stars is people will literally pay to watch someone. And the people that we collectively choose are the ones we want to watch. And I think all the time as to why or why that person and that X factor. So it's not a huge leap in a way of like, okay, we already have that connection. It's just a little bit further, but at the same time to go that further step of like, what would it take for me to write to someone about someone I don't know? Like that seems so, that is fascinating to me in a way of like, what would possess someone to do that? I also feel that way about people who choose to be hateful online. Like why, why? I genuinely want to know, like, this is a good idea. I should say how much I hate someone and wish they would die. Like, cause you have to like think that through to sit there and type that out. And so it's like to sit there and type that out. And then it said in any respect, you know, and it is funny because Jess and I talked about this on a previous podcast, but because it is, we always feel weird as casting directors because we do, we call them talent crushes. It's not we're starstruck, but we love good talent. And it's so exciting for us that I was like, sometimes it feels a bit awkward being like, just love you, you know, like, but not like that. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. you're, you are, you feel so connected, especially when you have like worked with somebody for years and then you see them getting their recognition or the, you see them doing really well on a show or a movie. I've reached out to people on Instagram and just been like, oh man, I'm so proud of you. Way to go. Congratulations. Sometimes I feel a little awkward doing that at the end of the day. I'm like, I'm not crazy, you know? <laughs> I hope they appreciate it. I feel this way all the time, especially like I want to talk to people. Like I'm one of those people, if I run into someone on the street, even if I used to work with them, they wouldn't know me or whatever. You're like, oh, I don't want to bother them. But you're just like, I love you so much. You're like, I don't want to bother you in a grocery store. And I know you're famous-ish, maybe. Are you not that famous? I'm not sure you're famous in my (laughs) mind. So, um, but I just want to tell you, I am obsessed with you and not have you be afraid. But it's okay because I'm a manager, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. No, I absolutely have massive talent crushes. And then all I want to do is have people tell me how nice and wonderful they are. And then not the alternative. I can relate. question for you on that note like when you have the talent crushes and it's not somebody that you represent like what do you do do you court them like what's your way well so one of the things that is lovely and also a little bit hard when I was kind of making the move is most managers there is an ethics and ethos that our company very much adheres to if we don't poach other people's clients right so if they already have a manager we're not trying to say like, well, your manager sucks, you should be with me, which number one, I think is good. And two, that's never really been in my nature, right? Like I'm not, I I think that there's room for all of us. You don't need to disparage other people. There are definitely some people in which I'm like, well, you could do better. Yes, I will think that and everything, but I'm not going to try to manipulate you into thinking you're doing something wrong, right? So that's, that's an important ethos, if you will. So knowing that I have to be careful about that because sometimes I will just say, I did this once when I was an agent. I was like, Oh my God, this person was so amazing on Veep last night. He killed it. He was just the funniest person I've ever seen. I I'm obsessed with this person, obsessed with your client. And then I get a call back later of like, he's happy where he is. And I was like, I was like, Oh shit. I was just, <laughs> I really wasn't. I mean, like, yes, I would love to represent him, but I wasn't trying. I, he should be happy where he is. Where he is doing great. I was genuinely like, 
I love this person and your client is incredible. So as a manager to try to say that to other people, there is an element of like, are you trying to sign that person? So a lot of times if I know the other manager, I'll say them because you're obviously not trying to poach their client directly from them. But I do have to be careful in a way of that. I would say that is a little bit harder than at an agency because a lot of times if someone doesn't have a manager, sometimes it's because they don't necessarily want one. And when they have an agent and the agent has the access to all of the information that's out there to try and be like, well, here's more information that your agent doesn't have. First of all, your agent doesn't love that. And because the managerial relationship is so much more of a relationship-based transaction, if someone's been with an agent for 20 years, you're having someone new come in and you're supposed to have this close relationship with your career, that's a lot harder to do. What I like to do is I think you obviously are speaking through members of the team or casting or people like that, which is just be mindful of your reputation out there, being kind of present in what's going on in the business and also just kind of saying, okay, here's what I would do in terms of being proactive. These are about the current jobs, but look at the careers that we've built and what steps we would take for you specifically to build a long-term career and making sure that message gets out there. Yeah. We're going to be talking to a couple of UK reps too on the agency side. And I'm always really fascinated by this. And I'm definitely going to be asking them because I have found when people are trying to cross over into this market, there's a little bit of hesitation on the Euro UK side. And do you feel that as a manager? Because I think when I have generals and stuff with actors who are crossing over, I say, you know, you don't necessarily need an agent and a manager out here. You just get a great manager who has their finger on the pulse. I hear like mixed reviews of how the reps in the UK receive it. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a fear and it's not entirely unfounded. You know, we try to know we're here to add value. We're not here to like, you know, take your precious client and run. That's not what we do. But there is a fear that fear has, I think, validity to it. Like you understand where it comes from. It's not people being paranoid. And also I think with UK and Canadian specifically, you know, because those markets are or can be depending somewhat smaller, the reps tend to be very managerial. Again, they might know their clients. So if all they're looking for is like access to more jobs, they might be like, well, we just want a bigger agency. And if we have a manager who is there doing the day to day, and then the manager wants them to be with a bigger agency as their careers taking off, that manager is going to cut us out. Now, I don't think that necessarily has to be the case. And I think that obviously I'm like biased and I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I think what's wonderful about our company is we are adaptable. We will fill in the gaps of your representation. Let's work together as a team. If you are very managerial and you both are on the same time zone, then we will work on kind of the agent side of it, getting you more auditions or offers, things like attaching you to things, things of that nature. So I agree with you. I think if someone is looking to cross over, especially if they don't have a visa, like manage is so much more helpful in that regard. And especially if it is kind of like a long-term play rather than just like more jobs, more auditions. I, I agree with you. I think it's much more helpful for certain UK clients to come and have managers brought into the fold. But I would say that's the reason for the mixed reaction, which is wait a second, aren't I already doing the job of a manager? And first of all, it's like with the UK reps, like you are, you're doing both and that's hard. And let us take some of that off your plate. 
Yeah, it's funny because like being on the side of the pond, it's funny to me where I've met with so many actors in the past few months that are like, I need somebody in LA. And I'm like, you do understand that what your rep does here is very different than what they do there. (laughs) And I always have to explain the difference between agents and managers in the US because here they do kind of the same thing. It is like this very personal relationship, even at the agent level. Even I was talking to a friend the other night about it and he was like, I don't know if it's worth it for me to like go and be a part of like, do I need an agent? Because I already have a manager there. Do I also need an agent? And I'm like, no, stop spending money. Like (laughs) you don't need all of that. So I always find it quite fascinating, but I think it's good to know because I will say I always recommend them to get a manager. I'm like, don't worry about the agents because they are more of a a big picture. They want the big jobs. They want to push that stuff. I was like, if you actually want to cultivate a good career and you just want opportunities for the cool indies or, you know, more niche things while also maybe going out for a Marvel show or something, go with a manager. Like they actually care. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, that's what I tell people, you know, when, when you are looking for rep and trying to decide, I think the most important is passion, which is just, if you have someone who you know, or you have a sense of like really believes in you, picks up the phone versus maybe like a sexy name or a sexy company or like a sexy client list, because if they're not going to pick up the phone for you, it doesn't matter what they have that information with. I mean, yes, there's a certain level with your like, oh, I don't know if they know people, will they be able to get me in the rooms? Like there is kind of that curve, that spectrum of where you want to fit in. But if you have someone who you believe is willing to like break down the door for you versus someone who that door is already open, but they need to walk you through it, I think you should always kind of lean towards the person who's willing to like break down the door, right? Because that's always going to drive someone. And it's hard. It's hard to make those decisions. But yeah, you do have to have that passion. That's number one. Yeah. Okay. So to wrap this up, we have one very, very important question to ask you. (laughs) So if the world was ending tomorrow, what is your favorite cocktail that you would have to cheers the end of the world? Oh, to cheers the end of the world. Probably a Riesling because I'm boring, <laughs> but also, I mean, given everything, I feel like the end of the world could be tomorrow, right? That's entirely possible. But I guess maybe, first of all, like we're neglecting all of the food. It'd be like pizza, ice cream. Like that's really more of how I would cope. I would eat all of the food. You're like, to hell with alcohol. Give me all the food. <laughs> right, right. Isn't it great? I don't have to worry about heart disease right now. Like that's really cool. So I would probably eat all of the food and have just the fruitiest, most sugariest drink, right? That would make me really happy and also just sweet and like pineapple, like like any tropical with like little umbrellas. So I don't know drinks very well. We'll get you a pina colada. That's what we'll get you. Yes, exactly. A pina colada slash fruity margarita. Something, you know, I hate when people call it this, but like the girliest drink ever. That is that is what I would want. Oh, I love it. Love it, love it. Well, thank you so much, Louise, for joining us today on Tipsy Casting. I feel like I want to ask you all a bunch of questions. I have so many questions for you. I've asked about your sides of the business forever. We can do a part two to this conversation at another point. I love it. I love it. I'm going to interview you both. That's the part two. But I love both of you and your work. And Jessica, you've been so helpful to me so many times. So I really just appreciate what you both individually and collectively doing this and also just the work that you and 
casting does. Like I really, especially when people do it well and are communicative and friendly and respectful, like I just really appreciate it. So thank you for all of that. Right back at you, honestly. Yeah, thank you. It's been an absolute blast chatting to you today. I can speak for both of us that we both can't wait to continue working with you. It's been awesome. Thank you and cheers. Yeah, cheers. Cheers with my water, my coffee. <laughs> with your water. <laughs> my mug from Jessica's Etsy shop. Yes, casting life away is my little home away from home to get my, my frustrations out. So yeah, cheers to that. <laughs> Bye.